You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. More than a decade ago, today's guest, Jane Hoffman, a co-founder and the president of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals, had a prosperous future as an attorney for a leading international law firm. Despite that promising and lucrative future, she made a career-changing decision. Jane will share with us why she made her career-changing decision, what the scope and mission of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals are, and more. However, before we meet Jane, we need to take a break for messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Jane Hoffman, President of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals. Welcome, Jane. Thank you for joining us today. Keith, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. You know, I was doing the research, and I've seen all the work you've been doing. I just have a million questions, and I'm sure our audience is going to be interested. But first of all, as I said in your intro, over a decade ago, you were a successful attorney, What caused you to leave that behind you and become a national advocate for the humane treatment of animals? Well, it all started basically with my uh, being one of the founding members of the New York City Bar Association Animal Law Committee. And we had been founded in about 1990, and we had been doing pro bono for local, you know, animal rescue groups and shelters. We had been putting on evening programs and annual conferences. But when... um, Mayor Bloomberg was elected. We, as a committee and as the Bar Association, are often asked to send memos about areas of interest to us that we think the incoming administration, you know, can do some good things about. So we wrote a memo. That was back in 2001 now. And to his incoming, you know, transition team. And we had proposed that 
you know, everybody knew that animal care and control was a little bit of a mess, and uh, the ASPCA several years before had given up the contract, and the city had set up their own not-for-profit to provide animal control services, and it wasn't going all that well. And we basically wrote a memo, and we had about five topics in it, but the lead-off topic, animal welfare, was, you know, animal care and control. And Maddie's fund had been established in 1999, which is the fund that was giving, at that point, community collaborations grant money to become what they called a no-kill region, city, whatever it was, state. And we had proposed that if we could put together a community collaboration in New York City and work with the city of New York's government, you know, we thought we could secure one of these grants. So... That was very well received, and we proceeded to meet with um, the incoming administration folks and then called together the animal welfare community, and everybody seemed interested in trying to put this together. And then there came the moment when we realized this was no longer a committee project. We needed a not-for-profit corporation. I went to my old firm and asked Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett and asked if they would set it up, and they're actually our pro bono counsel. So we had a tax-exempt organization, and then we needed somebody to actually do this. And um, everybody in the room kind of turned around and looked at me. And at that time, I was doing my own private practice. And I was, I guess, in sort of the best position to be able to step into the role of what I was considering just getting this thing off the ground. And I said, oh, you know, Rich Avanzino from Maddie's Fund said, you know, I need to know who's going to do this. If you do this, we'll, you know, give you this big grant. And I figured, okay, I'll give a couple of years and, you know, do this. And uh, so I became rapidly downwardly mobile, you know, and I, you know, took on the, the leadership. So in 2003 was our really first full year of operation. In 2005, we got the Maddie's Fund grant, which is, you know, when I took on full-time being the um, president of the alliance. So kind of a long answer to your question, but it, it all flowed from the New York City Bar Association. And, and just the feeling that, you know what, I think I can do, I may be able to do something good in this area that really matters a lot to me. So, you know, let me do this. And um, I can't say I've never, I, you know, I've never regretted that decision ever. Well, that's very interesting. Now, you're from Brooklyn originally, is that right? Yes, I am, Fort Greene. And did you grow up uh, with pets and animals or in the city, did you just uh, have to look at somebody else's? Well, actually, no. I was born in Brooklyn, but then my parents moved out to Long Island um, when I was pretty small. So we had animals. Um, I grew up in Manhasset on Long Island, and we had animals my entire life, cats, dogs, basically, but also some, you know, the smaller pets, gerbils, that kind of thing. So you were immersed with animals and uh, really began to understand them at an early age. Yeah, pretty much. It was, you know, and it's interesting looking back how much, you know, how far we've come, I guess, or how much we've learned about animals since then, just in, you know, how, frankly, self-aware they are, how, you know, they're sentient beings and just things like the strides we've made in spay-neuter. I mean, we had cats who had litters. I mean, I'm sort of horrified thinking about it back then, but, you know, they're just, that was not in the people's consciousness, spaying and neutering um, your cats or your dogs. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a brave new world. And, and these, you know, it's wonderful the way things are trending and recognizing, you know, each individual animal's worth and, you know, the services that we should be providing to them to, you know, give them healthy lives and not causing a pet overpopulation because humans are the ones who do that. The animals are not out there doing it themselves. You know, we're part of this problem. We need to be part of the solution. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, when you were talking about having cats with uh, having litters of kittens, I, I got to thinking about growing up. I grew up in upstate New York in the Albany region. And, you know, all our neighbors had dogs and they all ran loose and uh, cats ran loose. And everybody just said, well, you know, that's the way it is. And every once in a while, whoops, somebody had a litter of dogs or cats. And seemed to me at that time, you know, they found homes. But uh, right. I guess the increase of population and, and yeah. everything changes things. Now, yep. is the Alliance affiliated with any government agency? No, actually, we're a completely private, not-for-profit. We rely on donations. We get grants from foundations. Um, we have a lot of wonderful supporters who, you know, support our various initiatives, like the Wheels of Hope or the Feral Cat Initiative, um, or just, you know, those lovely folks who give you just general operating money, which is always lovely. But we chose that title, uh, the Mayor's Alliance, um, really just to identify that we were going to be working really closely with the city government. And I always think of it more as the President's Council on Physical Fitness, who's, which is not really associated with any president in particular. It's, it's really more the office, and it was just to indicate the close relationship, working relationship we expected to have. We have never gotten any money from the city government we just set up a working relationship. Uh, it was a document called a Memorandum of Understanding, setting forth, you know, who we were, what they were, what we were going to be doing, and setting up the relationship with the not-for-profit Animal Care and Control of New York City, which was the city sort of created not-for-profit that, with a contract through the Department of Health, provides animal control services in the city of New York. So we're not the mayor's office. We're not a city agency. And that can be a big double-edged sword because in some ways, obviously, having that title in the name, you know, gives you maybe a little more pause, or gives people a little more pause when they're thinking they're dealing with the mayor's office. But it's also a double-edged sword because a lot of people think we're a city agency. Sure, sure. Now, how many rescue and shelter operations are in the coalition? Well, we started with five founding members, and today we have over 150 animal rescue groups um, and shelters that are what we call alliance participating organizations. 150? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yes. Well, that certainly uh, is a uh, indication of your organizational abilities because uh, it's like herding cats <laughs> with organizations. <laughs> Am I correct? <laughs> you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, you're absolutely right. My value added is my, you know, skills I brought, whatever, my, you know, to the table, which were, I was a Wall Street lawyer. You know, we know how to analyze things. We know how to look for solutions. I was actually a, a negotiating kind of lawyer. I wasn't a litigator, so I'm looking about how to make this deal work. And also, I was a management consultant after I um, worked at Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett. So, you know, to me, one of my big missions in going into this was to what I call professionalize the industry or the community or, you know, whatever you want to call this animal welfare, group of animal welfare folks, to really give, increase their capacity and their capability to do what they're already doing even better. So actually we did, and one thing I really impress upon people, I don't care how big, how little you are, you need a strategic plan because that's a roadmap for where you want to go, where you are now, where you want to go, what resources you have to get you there, and what resources you're missing so you can figure out how you're going to get a hold of those. Um, so we did a 10-year strategic plan with four core objectives and about 18 initiatives or something to support those goals, um, you know, with the 
with the ultimate idea to reduce the killing of cats and dogs at Animal Care and Control of New York City, which is the only open admissions um, shelter that in New York City. They're required to take any animal that comes to their door. So we focused our attention on where the animals at risk were and basically curated what was a very large marketing and distribution network in my mind, which was creating, uh, giving grants so that they at Animal Care and Control could hire um, staff to man or person, I should say, a department called the New Hope Department, which is the department that works with the animal rescue groups and shelters that are partnered with them. They're called New Hope Partners. And it was basically, if you don't, you know, my thought was if you don't have a marketing department, you can't sell anything. So, you know, this department works with them through emails, through phone calls, and getting the word out about the animals at risk that they would like their partner groups to come and help them, you know, take them so that they can be marketed to a larger audience to find great new homes for them. And the distribution part of it, in my mind, was our program called the Wheels of Hope because many of these groups, the majority of them, are volunteer and work full-time jobs. So that would, you know, clog up the distribution of these animals um, to these groups if they had to wait for the weekend when these folks were, you know, not working at their paying jobs but were following their heart and and doing this great work helping saving these animals. So we have a, a little fleet of six customized cargo vans that transport the animals from ACC to the uh, partner groups, either uh, another brick-and-mortar shelter or if it's a foster-based group to foster homes, to vets, to kennels. Um, and it you know, supports a lot of other things like bringing traps to the feral cat folks to do TNR, bringing you know, animals to be spayed and neutered, bringing animals to events. But basically that was, you know, that's what my value-added, I thought, was let me bring this to this community and put together this plan and see if we can, you know, save a lot of animals. And I think we've been pretty successful at that so far. Well, that makes a lot of sense because my experience, not only in animal advocacy, but I was also a director of communication for a, another not-for-profit in a different space. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times squabbling and arguing over little differences rather than uniting, you know, over the big cause. Mm -hmm. And to have someone to say, hey, let's get together and this is what we need to do, Mm -hmm. I think can really bring out the synergy that, uh, and uh, so the um, sum becomes greater than the parts. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like creating, to me, it's creating infrastructure and it's creating process and procedure about how you're going to communicate with each other. Because once it sort of becomes business. I mean, there's a reason business does things a certain way. It's because it works. And, you know, so we created these email lists of all of the partner groups so that the New Hope Department at Animal Care and Control could knew how to communicate, could get in touch with, you know, have all the contact information for the groups, have the groups have all the contact information for the New Hope Departments in each of the three shelters we have that Animal Care and Control have. So it was, you know, sometimes it's just the really simple, non-sexy things you know, you're not talking about big concepts like collaboration or, you know, you're not all sitting around in a circle singing Kumbaya together. You're just <laughs> doing, if there's a way to speak to each other and this is the way we do it, you know, and this is the way we request transport, then it just, there's less opportunities for friction because this is the way we do this to do what we all want to accomplish. It's just we have not known how to speak to each other in the past. 
Well, that's great. Jane, we're going to need to take a break. And when we return, you can share with us one of the major goals of the, of the Alliance and what makes you believe it can be met. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are one of the only live shows on Pet Life Radio, and I'm here to answer your questions. So you can call in at 877-385-8882, or you can drop me an email to drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and hopefully we'll see you here on Thursdays. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Jane Hoffman, the president of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals, is going to share us, with us one of the major goals of our organization is and how and why she believes that goal can be met. Jane, I understand your goal is to make New York City a no-kill city. Is that correct? That's correct. And what makes you believe that that's really a large challenge? What makes you believe it can be met? Well, actually, I'm, I know it can be met because we've made incredible progress so far. I mean, just to give you some numbers, in 2003, um, we were killing about almost 32,000 cats and dogs a year. By the end of this year, we're projecting we'll have reduced euthanasia to slightly over 6,000 cats and dogs. Now, we're not done yet, and we're not completely satisfied, but it is a 10-year plan, so we have until 2015 to accomplish it, but it's basically sort of the Maddie's Fund goal, which was no healthy or treatable cat or dog is killed simply because they don't have a home. So we last year achieved about 74% live release rate, if you want to look at it in percentages, and we're projecting this year we may actually achieve 81% live release rate. So, you know, I think each city or community has to decide, define for themselves what is no-kill in their mind. Um, I don't think anyone can set an arbitrary percentage I think every area is different, their challenges are different, their resources are different. 
you know, I I think we're getting very close to what we may be, you know, what what New York may decide is what they can do, which is basically that the only animals that are dying in our shelter are because they are too injured or too sick or, frankly, too dangerous to put back out into the community. There's very few animals, actually, that dogs that, uh, you know, get a safer assessment, which is what the method of um, assessing a dog's um, behavior at while in the shelter, to just give the groups more information about, you know, this dog needs behavior modification in this area. Are you capable of doing that? And by the way, this might not be a home you want to put, a dog you want to put into a home with a small child because they do have some food guarding, you know, issues, that kind of thing. But, you know, just so that the animals that are truly dying are being euthanized in the true meaning of the word, not killed simply because we don't have space for them or anything like that. Yeah, we're on our way. We're on our way. Well, that's great. By what you said, I can see why the, the wheels, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't recall the full name wheels of, of it. Hope. Wheels, wheels of, of hope. hope is so important because that's taking the animals from New York to other areas, perhaps, where people can adopt them. Yeah, it goes to our groups, the partner groups who have pulled the animals, and that can be, you know, Bobby and the Strays in Queens. It can be some of our breed rescue groups. A lot of them are based outside the city. Their foster homes may be outside the city, so they'll go to a foster home outside the city kind of thing. But, yeah, that's absolutely crucial because, you know, we need to get them out as quickly as possible, both to make space for the animals that are always coming in, but also, you know, the the less time they stay in a shelter, the, you know, the less likely they're there to get sick. So that is the single key initiative in my mind in many ways. There's three things we do. There's the Wheels of Hope, which I think is a crucial initiative. There's the Feral Cat Initiative, uh, you know, which really promotes PNR. And then there's our mega adoption events. Um, And we have one coming up in December called Whiskers in Wonderland, which Uh, is is for cats. (laughs) Yeah, Uh it's for cats and rabbits. And every now and then there's an iguana. (laughs) And I have no (laughs) idea why the iguana is there. But one of our groups who's wonderful called Sean Casey Rescue in Brooklyn takes on all kinds of exotics. Um, and so every now and then an iguana shows up or a snake. But that's okay, even if they don't have whiskers. Well, they just lost them and uh, haven't had a chance to grow them back yet. That's and- exactly. <laughs> our you story know, and we're sticking with it <laughs> hey you know another thing i read is that uh, the alliance has a pilot program in which it's participating in which small pets are being permitted to enter a shelter for abused women along with yes. their own uh, yes what? we're very excited about that we um we have this program called Helping Pets and People in Crisis, um, and we've had a social worker who's been working with us, Jenny Coffey, on that for many, many years. And this was a breakthrough moment for us when an organization called Urban Resource Institute, which is one of the largest providers of beds, and uh, they have three domestic violence shelters, they stepped up and uh, thought they should be housing the, the whole family. Nat Field, who's their uh, executive director, uh, I think that's his title, or president, you know, attended a conference and heard a presentation on the fact that these women do not leave their homes, and it's mostly women, unfortunately, um, do not leave their homes. Like something like 48 or 50% of them will not leave their home, even though they're threatened, because they will not desert their pet. 
Um, so, you know, he saw this as, as something they should be doing, and it started out as a pilot program and, and kind of small in one of their shelters, but it, it's been wonderful because we just feel this hopefully will be the wedge that we can start driving through and getting all the other shelters, both private and city shelters, to really look at housing pets with their people because if these pets have homes, we don't want them to go into shelters. You know, if they need to stay with their families, and if you can give me one second, I'll give you a a brief anecdote about why we got into this. Sure, one my, sure. Mi- one of my miniature pincher groups got a call from a woman who had a min pin named Maggie who had fled her home with her two small children but had had to leave the dog because no shelter would take them. And this guy had been arrested. I mean, it was very bad violence. And she was going back, this brave woman was going back every day because she wasn't going to desert that dog. And he was about to get out of jail. And uh, she managed to reach out to these group who reached out to me. They were members of the Alliance. And at that point, I didn't have a program, but I said, take them to our vet. I'll figure it out later. We had this wonderful foster who agreed to keep Maggie. And every weekend, the mother with the two small children would come and uh, meet the foster and get Maggie and go to the park. And as I always say, inevitably feed the dog too many hot dogs because he came home and had she came home and had diarrhea for three days. <laughs> um, but the whole family would go out, and nine months later they did get housing. She took the dog to be interviewed. They they all got you know rehomed together. And the woman told us that the only thing that had kept her children sort of centered and able to cope with being in a shelter was the fact that they got to see Maggie every weekend and they knew they would get their pet back. Now, can you imagine how much more therapeutic it would have been for these children if that dog, Maggie, had been able to stay with them? So that was sort of the beginning of of me evolving this, seeing a need and hoping we could, you know, work with city agencies and social service agencies to accept this on a on a much broader basis. So thank God for the Urban Resource Institute who has stepped up and has done this for small cats and small mammals and birds and is looking to open it up to dogs um, early next year. Well, that's great because uh, you're certainly right. That bond is there. And typically, if a spouse is being abused, the abuser is probably kicking that dog or cat or animal also. And oh, if, yeah. uh, if mm-hmm. you're attached, that's the last thing you want to say. And I imagine many times that pet is an anchor to the uh, wife or the children or and helps the stability in life. And right. can you describe some other successes of, of the Alliance? Well, you know, I mentioned the, you know, the the uh, Wheels of Hope, which we consider, you know, a huge success. We transferred about 16,000 animals last year to their second chances, as we call it. You know, the other big successes are, frankly, these mega adoptions we do, our Adopt-a-Paloozas and our Whiskers in Wonderland, and we just were fortunate enough to do a Maddie's Pet Adoption Day in June which was adoption fee waived adoptions, and we adopted about 3,000 animals in connection with that event. Um, 3,000? Yes. <laughs> and how many days was that? Was that one uh, day? Real, no, well, it, was, it culminated in a, a, a two huge adoption events on a weekend um, in New York City, but it was really adoptions done by the groups for the month preceding that. So it was it was very, very exciting for us. But those big groups are do a number of things. I think they, they you know, and when we started them early on, it was, uh, you know, several purposes. Number one, the obvious one to try to, you know, get animals adopted. But it was also to bring the groups together so that they could see the other groups and see they didn't have, you know, horns, tail, and cloven hoofs, and their animals were great animals too. And, 
you know, so it was the beginning of bringing the community together. And now it's just so these folks can see each other, you know, on a social basis almost wow. during these events. Well, that's um, great because yeah. that's that's why things can work so many times. Is exactly. It's you know, it's it's hard to not like somebody when you meet them. You hear things and. You know, the Internet is such a double-edged sword. And, you know, I always think, ma'am, take your hands off the keyboard, step back, and nobody will get hurt. Because, <laughs> you know, on the Internet, people get crazy. But when you see these folks face-to-face and you see the animals and you're all at this big, fun event, it changes things. And the other reason was just to teach people how to market themselves. When we were starting, we had many groups that, you know, they had a name, but they didn't. You know, I said, guys, you know, we're going to give you a little grant, get a 10 by 10 green market tent, get a banner, get T-shirts. Start marketing yourselves and start looking good because, you know, whether we like it or not, to a certain extent, pets are a consumer product and we need to have our animals presented in the best way possible to help get them, you know, new homes. The better better your animals are going to look. Right. You need to educate all those people who who may not think of going to a shelter because they've heard bad things about animals being from shelters, thinking that they're somehow right. inferior. Right. And that's right. certainly true. Hey, I do want to ask you this. I ask all of my guests this question, Jane, mm-hmm. and that's with all the human misery and suffering in the world, how can you justify the spending of time, money, and other resources advocating for animals? I think two things. I think that the pie, the compassion pie is not a certain size, and there's only so much compassion to go around. Um, I do think that when, when, you know, you help the most vulnerable among us, which frankly many times are are children and animals, you know, it just expands the compassion circle. And I think that's good for everyone. I think that, you know, the better question is to people who frankly don't do anything for anybody else, either animal or people. So that always strikes me as odd because it's like if you have a passion for working for children with autism or for cancer or for something, I applaud you. Go do it. You know, if that's what your passion is, but you can't force a passion on someone. And if people have a feeling of compassion and wanting to help, then I'm not going to discourage that whether I agree with that, that, you know, who am I to tell you what you should be doing with your charitable dollars, what you should be doing with your time, how you should be spending, you know, what you should be expending energy on. So to me, I don't even understand that question when, when people ask me that, because it's like, you know, the more love and compassion and effort to help an other is out there, I think the better it makes all of us and it makes for a more civilized and humane community, I think. Well, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. And um, before I forget, is there a website uh, I could go to if I wanted to make a donation or volunteer or become more involved? Yeah, that would be great. I mean, our mantra is, you know, adopt, donate, volunteer. So if you want to do any of those, please go to animalalliancenyc.org. Or you can just Google Mayor's Alliance for NYC's animals and you'll get to us as well. Okay. And this has been fun and interesting, and unfortunately, we've run out of time. And yeah. I must say, you're one of Max A. Pooch's favorite animal advocates, and he gives you five <laughs> big tail-wagging wolves. Well, pause up to him, too. <laughs> <laughs> and we thank you for being with us, but Max asked me to ask you one more thing. Sure. And you had been talking about the feral cat program. Would you or a representative of the Mayor's Alliance come back sometime, maybe if January or February, and uh, talk about that program? We would love to. We'll be there with bells on. You just tell us when and we'll be there. 
Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you again, Jane, for being with us. Well, thank you again. It's been real fun. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.